Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Let's do this. What's up, everybody? It's your coach. July, July the 8th. Please, if you haven't had a chance to see the previous episode, with Kurt, Kurt Tabuada from Mentirosa was the party he used to throw on the beach. 88 Entertainment, man, what a life, what a, what a journey. Bad Bunny story, Osuna story, like a lot of good stuff, man. Live, Dave Grubman, a lot of good stories with my man, Kurt. Check that last episode. It's really good. Also, please subscribe if you can rate me. Rate, R-A-T-E, nothing else. Rate me. Put what you think of the show. Leave a comment, good, bad, whatever. I got your back either way. But if you can please do that, that's greatly appreciated. All right, in today's episode... Number six, number six in today's episode, number six, special dude from the Northwest Pacific. It's probably the first person I've ever met from the state of Oregon. Had a coach reach out to me two years ago. Very, very humble, very cool. Talking to me about if I wanted to ever do a camp or do anything in out there in his area to definitely let him know that he'll help me out with Oregon State, stuff like that. I said, dude, I just want to speak to the team. You get me to speak to the team. And it took us a minute to hook that up. But once he did, it was awesome. What an experience. What a guy. Humble, humble, two-time national champ, once as a player, once as a coach, has played with one of the best in the game has coached some of the best in the game. Real good perspective. Humble dude, can't say that enough. Knowledgeable. Spent some time, his dad is an actor, so spent some time in Hollywood. Then came back to baseball. We talk about recruiting at Oregon State. We talk about titles. We talk about music. We talk about, he's a farmer. He loves growing his stuff. Very different than me in a lot of aspects, but very similar to me in a lot of aspects. A lot of respect for this dude. So in this episode of the Coach HP Show, I got my man, Bill Rao. Bill Rao, Oregon State Beaver coach, and amongst many other things. Like, what are we going to do about this fucking Cubano from the South, down down in South Florida, putting together the firm with the palm trees behind him. He's a monster. He's controlling the market. And we're on, coach, entrepreneur, farmer. Adventurer, producer, director, actor, <laughs> dude, how, during this time, how much have you missed, you miss more, being on a baseball field, a movie set, or in your garden? Which one have I missed the most? Yeah. Definitely the baseball field, for sure. Really? Uh, yeah, I missed that the most. Well, I've been in the garden full time this whole time. So getting a plenty of garden time in plenty of adventure time, fishing, wild mushroom hunting, 
missing the baseball, but we're going to be back. I'm coaching a team here in Medford, a wood bat team, and we're going to be playing a shortened season from July 7th through the middle of August, all home games. So excited. Got a bunch of college boys coming into town. We're going to play some baseball. Wow, dude. Are you done with Oregon State now? Is that it? Yep. Yep. I'm done. I mean, done in terms of the coaching sense, but uh, still obviously an alumni there and I'll be involved with events that they're doing and stuff like that. Hopefully some camps. And I've got a, I've got a Beaver alumni baseball alumni game versus the Medford rogues happening this summer. So a bunch of Beaver alumni are going to come travel to Medford and play against all the college boys that I'm coaching. So that'll be really fun. Wow, dude, Bill, man, I, I got so much love for you, dude. I, for so many reasons, but number one, you're one of the few guys, man. And I told you this when, when we met, you remind me a lot of Phil Jackson, bro. Oh, you're, okay. that's quite a compliment. Yeah, man. Cause you're, you care so much for the game, for the players, but clearly to you, it's not everything, man. When you played, did you have that philosophy Did you get that later in life? How did you think? How did you think as a player? It, it was everything to me when I was a player, for sure. Um, I don't think, I don't think I let myself realize how much I loved doing other things because I was so focused on being the best baseball player I could be. And so I just I put every ounce of my training mentally and physically into baseball. And, and that was great. I, it, I And that's why I have no regrets. I got to go as far as I wanted to with that. And then as soon as I got to the minor leagues and being in Montana, I was missing out on a lot of fishing, being so close to it, but not being able to do it. And I think that was when I started to kind of get the feeling that, okay, there's other things that I might rather be doing right now than playing baseball. And that's a weird feeling to have. But what does what this mean for me in the rest of my life? Bill, growing up, how involved was your dad with baseball? Because I know he was in he's in the movie business, no? Yeah, yeah, he's an actor. How involved? Because thinking actors, usually think actors are very chill as sports dads. Mm-hmm. How involved was your dad? Very involved, yeah. And I, I think um, for what my dad lacked in advanced understanding of mechanics, he made up for with passion for the game and a persistence in terms of just, you know, helping me get out there every day, pitching me short toss into a net or having me play catch with my brother or, you know, hitting wiffle balls over the house, whatever it was, just the the repetition and the constant um, practice really helped. And I, I think more than anything, I, he played some semi-pro ball and he's 82 years old. So semi-pro ball back then was like mow lawns on the weekend, play some baseball, make five, $10 a week or something crazy right. like that. Um, And he actually had an opportunity to go to Notre Dame on a baseball scholarship and turn that down and kind of started doing his own path into uh, acting and got into stage acting. And then as a player, he was very involved because he had this big projecting stage voice and he hates umpires. So anytime my dad was in the stands, you knew it because anytime there was a questionable call, his voice would just cut through everybody else's voice. And I mean, some really bad, brutal calls from him in the, in the stands yelling at the umpires where like the rest of the team's just looking at me like, Bill, come on, man, you gotta like do something about your dad up there. He's a, you're a tall dude. Did you get your height from him? I don't think so. I'm taller than him. I mean, he's five, I would say he's maybe 5'10, 5'11, so okay. not short, but you know, my brother and I are certainly the biggest two uh, males in our family for sure. Is it just you and your brother? Just me and my brother. Yep. I have a little brother named Jackson. Nice. What age, Bill, did you start noticing that you were good in baseball, man, that you're better than everybody else? Oh, pretty early on. And I, I have to give my dad the credit again, because when I started playing baseball at age nine or 10, I had already been taking so many thousands of reps in the backyard where a lot of kids were just getting started. And I skipped the T-ball and just went straight into coach pitch 
and that was down in uh, Laguna Beach, California, down in Orange County. And I, I think I still have the home run record down there for the Little League, but I hit a lot of home runs. I hit, I think I hit 20 home runs my uh, 12-year-old year in my Little League season. Nice. And so, yeah, I hit one when I was nine, a couple when I was 10, and a bunch when I was 11 and 12. So from that point, I, I knew I was good, but every time I advanced from that stage, there was a whole new hurdles that I had to cross. And, and I was humbled every time I advanced a level, you know, you think you're really good in little league and then you step up and you go play a regional tournament and you see kids throwing harder than you ever have. And it humbles you and you work hard and you get back up to the next level and then you get humbled again. And I just became so comfortable with that cycle of being humbled, struggling, and then pushing through that, that I never lost the confidence. Any level that I went to, I felt like, okay, as long as I put in the hard work, I'll be able to just get better. And eventually I'll, I'll be one of the better players at this level. You thought like that yourself, Bill, was it your dad helping you with the mindset where you like, listen, I'm going to get better. How did you think? How did you come up with that? Um, I, I started studying the mental game. I, again, credit to my parents just for helping me to explore a lot of different avenues of training for baseball. And I did yoga and I did visualization and meditation and just a lot of things that, you know, back in the late nineties, early two thousands were kind of weird back then. Only um, you and Phil Jackson were doing that. Only yeah, you and, and Phil Barry, Jackson. And Barry Zito, right? You remember? And remember Barry Zito, yeah, of course. Exactly. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So he I, lived, I, he yeah. lived up Hollywood Sunset Plaza. He had a house up there, Barry Zito. Yeah. We went to uh, UC Santa Barbara, both of us, not at the same time, but we both went there for a minute. Nice. Yeah. And so I studied um, Jim Fannin, who does the mental game for Major League Baseball players back then when I was playing college ball. I studied his audio book called Baseball in the Zone, and it was basically about trying to put your body and your mind into the same state as when you're in a a moment of extreme adrenaline or intense uh, pressure when, you know, things look like they're happening in slow motion and you get super strength, like a mother lifting the car off of her baby child, you know? And so it was about through meditation and visualization, trying to achieve that physical and mental state while you're in the box hitting. And I just bought into that kind of thing and just started going down that groovy path and it worked out really well for me. So, you know, who am I to deny it? I love that dude. Yeah. Being a lefty, big lefty, throw lefty, hit lefty. Did you do any pitching at all? I did. Yeah. I pitched in high school and I still pitch in men's league here. Fortunately, that's one of the advantages of playing first base. You know, your arm doesn't take too much strain through college, but I think I was only throwing you know, mid to high seventies in high school. And I think now I'm probably throwing in the mid eighties. So never hard enough to make it at the division one level, but probably just wasted power. Honestly, I never really trained very hard at pitching. And had I put in the amount of time into pitching that I did into hitting, I probably could have got a little bit more juice out of this body. Just, just put the backside into it a little bit more. Would have got a couple more miles per hour, probably. Damn, man. Any all day, well, all day, because it's day county, any all county teams, all state teams, any of that in high school? Yep, yep, yeah. Um, I played baseball Northwest, which is kind of a, a big organization up here that handles Idaho, Washington, and Oregon. And through high school, I, I traveled and played on these teams with – you know, all the best players from Oregon and Washington combined on one team. And that was back with Jacoby Ellsbury, Jed Lowry, Cole Gillespie, a bunch of the guys that I ended up playing with on the Oregon State team or playing against while I was in college. And those were wood bat tournaments down in Arizona and just basically baseball all year long. And then I participated in a year-round baseball school that was at the local minor league stadium here in Medford, which was the Southern Oregon Timberjacks. They were an affiliate of the Oakland A's. And so that was three, four days a week all year long, just playing more baseball. And then I was all state uh, my junior and senior year. And I played in a state Metro all-star game. You know, I just, I, I was a niche player. It's like, I'm the big power hitting first baseman. You know, it's like when you need that guy, I'm that guy. And it, and I couldn't really branch out too far and end up hurting me in the end. But 
back then that was like if you wanted that guy I, I was there for you you were there huh man from high school did you go to is that where you went to uc santa barbara or did you go to oregon state first uh, yep i went to uc santa barbara first and i said juco nope that's division one Division one, they're in the Big West Conference with UC Irvine and Long Beach State and Riverside, Northridge, those schools down there. Uh, Cal State Fullerton, it's nice. that conference. How long were you there for? Three years, yep. Three years. Yep, then transferred to Oregon State, just perfect timing for a national championship. Uh, the man, the man. Why did you transfer out? Coach issues, you weren't playing? I was I was playing I I wasn't getting much better and I was putting in a lot of work and I was seeing that happening with other guys too and that was kind of tough for me and I just I started losing the passion for it a little bit and so I wanted to when I found the opportunity to transfer back to Oregon which is where my family was from and I was thinking okay my senior year my parents can just travel a few hours and watch me play instead of having to drive 11 hours and just asked my coach for the release and kept putting in that hard work. And, you know, finally some really good things started happening for me. Bill, through that process, did you talk to your dad? Did you use him for counsel and other, your high school coach when you made that decision? Cause that's, that's risky, man. Not a lot of people do that. Their third year after their three years in a D one school, who did you talk to for advice on that? Yeah, that was tough. I would, I would say my summer, my summer coach, who I had uh, when I was playing, you know, he could tell that I was kind of unhappy at Santa Barbara and he, he just, you know, told me that, that there was an opening at Oregon state, right? It's, I would still have to earn the position, but they had just lost their first baseman who was Andy Jenkins, who uh, is now coaching down at Cal state Fullerton. And he had just left. He had just gotten signed. He had just, had just finished his senior year. And so, you know, I just, decided you know what opportunities like that don't come around very often and they had just gone to omaha and it was a lot of guys that i had been playing with since high school and right. so the transition was was pretty easy for me did you there's nothing like how did you have a great fall is that how you made the team not really pat casey really made me earn that that spot i i had a, a good fall good enough but i was just coming off a season my junior year where i had hit like 235 240 really bad average and not much power and so pat casey had a lot of confidence in me but he really made me earn it and i never got to start against lefty pitchers even after i had a really good um opening tournament down in surprise arizona and hit around 400 and then he put me back on the bench and i think it wasn't until i had come in for defensive purposes late in the game and then they had a righty pitcher in, but then swapped it and brought a lefty pitcher in to face me. And, and he had no choice but to let me hit. And I got a knock off lefty. And then finally he started letting me stay in all the games. It's so crazy, man. I'm lefty too. Growing up, we don't face too many lefties. So it's always weird for us to hit lefty on lefty. How long did it take you to get comfortable? Were you always comfortable against lefties? Or did it take you a while to be used to lefties? Yeah, just like anything for me, I was never good at it right away, right? It took a lot of work, I think. Right. Yeah, especially at the college level, when you start seeing lefties who are throwing over 90, which I never even saw righties throwing over 90 in high school ball down here in Ashland, Oregon. Um, but I, I think for me, it became easier because I was trying to do less with the ball. My approach was so much back off the plate a little bit and just try and hit the ball the other way that that started getting easier. I started getting pickier. So as, as I got a better discipline of the strike zone, I was able to be a little bit more pickier with pitches that were not on the inside half of the plate, because from a lefty that just owned me for some reason, I just, you know, got my hands extended a little bit and it was better for me to kind of keep them going opposite field towards the left center field gap. That opposite field, man, that opposite yeah. field. Bill, do you still hold the record for the most RBIs in Omaha? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. 18? Oh, I, I already know. I already have the postseason record for 18 RBIs in the postseason, bro. Yeah, there are a lot of guys on base in front of me, right? That's, that's well, what that what means. What batter were you? 
Case Case was letting me hit in the four hole that week. I hit well off of Stanford in the Super Regional, so he just let it keep rolling. I mean, not when Andrew Miller was on the hill. When the lefties were up there, I think I got bumped down to six or seven. Six but or seven. Yeah. yeah, rightfully so. <laughs> Speak about that that winning a national championship, man. Super, super, super rare. How did that help you? What was that like? Was it like a dream come true? Did it happen so quick? Just go through that as a player first, as a player. Amazing. You know, you're not even thinking about what it's going to feel like until it actually happens. And then it's just you get rushed with so many emotions for that first month, six months. And then you you don't realize that it's going to trickle down for the rest of your life. There's a lot of events and occasions to get back together with those guys and kind of relive those memories and video clips that the university uses for their montages. And it's just very, very easy to, to get sucked back into those glory days and feel those emotions again. But um, just a special group of guys, you know, it was, it was magic that week. A lot of crazy things happened right for us. And um, yeah, just, just really special, special group of guys. And I, if I could, if I could use one word to describe it, it would be magic. Yeah. Magic. Huh? Bill at the plate, your mindset, did you have an extreme plan where you, I want to breathe, relax and try to hit the other way, react in what was your hitting philosophy? Yeah. I, I just dialed it back big time. I wasn't really trying to hit for power and, you know, quite frankly, for me, I'm a big enough dude that, and we were using those, those old school metal bats that had a little bit more juice than they do now. So what did you use the Omaha? What'd you guys use? Uh I I want to say they were the 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 B E S R. Okay. I I can't remember what the certification was on it. It's it wasn't like the mega when I was in high school we used crazy bats and then they pared it down to like the negative threes and that's what we were using. And um it was just a little bit more juice. So I never really had to swing super hard. So especially when those guys are throwing 95 plus, right? So when, when I knew we were going to be facing a lot of velo, for me, it was just about staying super short and focusing about just getting the middle of the barrel right to the baseball. And that's all I really thought about when I was in the box. Bill, after your national champ, the biggest high a player can have unless you you're in pro ball, you got drafted from there with Milwaukee, uh, yeah. was it? Yeah, I was a, a senior sign, so not actually drafted, but signed after the draft. How was that process, man? Was you heard that you were a senior sign? Did you expect that? How was that process? I mean, I, I think I expected it just because my junior year was not so great. And a lot of the scouts who had been watching me through my freshman and sophomore year kind of lost touch after that junior year. And so I had to prove myself all over again. Um, and then, you know, lo looking back and seeing what kind of player I was, uh, just I think the lack of athleticism that I really showed when I probably had more to give and I just didn't, I chose to not show it, I guess. And I should have just played the game more aggressively to show people um, how much more of an athlete I was. Um, but in the end, you know, I, I really didn't want it as much as a lot of the other guys. And, and when you get to the minors and you realize there's thousands of other dudes who would rather be there instead of you, it's a pretty easy decision to walk away. So you're done, huh? Yeah. What immediately was there a big crash coming from playing baseball your whole life to what you would do in the civilian world? How was that? How was that for you? Because I've always said that I think baseball players, especially stars, who stop after college and then go pro, pro, we're almost like instead of thoroughbreds, we're like greyhounds, man. We get used, 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 and the minute we get, that's it. It's like you're done. No preparation for the real world, nothing like that. How was that process for you? Yeah, I think I think coming to the realization that you're no longer going to be defined as a baseball player, and now you and now you really have to, uh, you know, create your own identity from scratch and, and who you are as a person, not who you are as an athlete, which is really what drives you for the the first part of your life while you're doing that. And just realizing that you you need to find value for yourself outside of baseball. And in, even if it's within baseball, 
you know, not as a player of baseball. So you can still coach, you can still work on broadcasting, you can make content, uh, content, you can do whatever you want. But I think for me, it was just about, you know, coming just thinking that I was a good enough person and I was contributing to other people in a way that wasn't through playing baseball, because I really felt like I let a lot of people down when I stopped playing, it, it was a lot easier for me personally to walk away from the game. The hardest thing was letting down the other kids and, you know, the fans who had been watching me throughout my entire career and staying in touch. And, and I really felt like I owed them something. And, and that's the, that was the hardest part for me coming, coming to the realization that it, I had to make the decision that was right for me. And that meant walking away from the game as a player full time. And then just I had was lucky enough to have a film project, a baseball film project almost right away after I left baseball. So I kind of jumped right into that, got to start working with my family on a film project and kind of got to redirect my energy right away. So I was lucky. How did you like yourself in the film world? Was it fun? Was it some more liberating, less pressure than baseball? Different kind of pressures, but totally different than having to hit and lay off curveballs in the dirt from a lefty and high and inside. Was it, did you find it more relieving? Yeah, definitely. I mean, less physically demanding, even though you're working 12 to 14 hour days, sometime it's still less physically demanding, um, you know, because you can kind of let loose at the end of a day. And that was a, that was a great feeling to be able to finish a work day and kind of turn everything off not have to worry about the next day until right when you get there. And I think as a baseball player, you know, as soon as that one game ends, you, you start the process of preparing for the next day right away. And so just having that breath of fresh air and getting to work with my brother and also getting to be in a work environment with, with women was a really refreshing experience. And I didn't realize how awesome that could be uh, just being around so many guys in baseball. And then you get on a film set and it's basically split 50, 50. And it was right. just really refreshing the types of conversations that were being had and, you know, a lot, a lot more adults than kids. And so, yeah, for, it was a better fit for me, I would say than being in a locker room. Um, but my favorite thing to do is when I get to do both at the same time, either coaching actors or working on a film that has baseball in it. When you transitioned to get back into the field, how long were you gone from coach? Uh, about 11 years working in the film industry before going back to Oregon State. Did it cross, would it cross your mind like, man, I, I miss baseball, I should get involved in baseball? Or were you happy in Hollywood? I, I mean, I was happy in Hollywood and I was still involved in baseball playing in wood bat men's leagues up in portland 18 and over leagues with a bunch of guys who are just out of high school just finished playing college ball some guys who are back from junior college and then i was coaching lessons for anybody who worked on a film set with me who had a kid who was in baseball of course if they came to visit i would give them a lesson or something like that in the cages and then I got to do a lot of stunt throwing on the set, which was super fun. You know, if they would say, we need this wine glass to hit this, uh, let's see if I can point at it right here, to hit this picture right here. And they want you to hit it right where it says of, you know? And, and you so they really, yeah, they bring in the baseball guy to make sure that, you know, you only have three props. You got to make sure you do it right the first time. Bill, when you would work with those kids on the set, would you charge them? No, no. That's how, that's the sign. So number one sign, man, that that's what you love to do. When oh, you're yeah. able to do something like that for free, it's it's crazy, man. Oregon State, your first year back, is that when you won the title as a coach? Yep, 2018. Damn, man. You're a two-time, two-time, three-time national champ, right? No, just twice. Because you weren't in 2018. In 2018, I was there, but I was not there in 2007, just 2006. Oh, so 2006, 2018. Yep. Being a coach at Oregon State with the immense talent you have, the amount of people, the amount of parents that probably reached out to you, can I get my kid into Oregon State? Can I get my kid into Oregon State? Oregon State? Because that's when you guys really... I remember watching the World Series and be like, oh, my God, there's a team in Oregon State and it's the Beavers and it's like whatever. But 
You guys just kept winning titles, titles. What advice would you have for parents, man, who are obsessed with Oregon State baseball for their kids? How good do you have to be? How good of a human being do you have to be? Because I think still till today, it's almost like the best of the best in college baseball is Vanderbilt in the East Coast, you guys in the West Coast, maybe LSU down the middle, you know? Mm -hmm. So how realistic, how hard? I mean, I remember having a conversation with uh, with the other Pat coach, uh, manager, and he goes, I actually sent him an email after I spoke, and he thought, and he sent me an email thinking I was somebody else. And he said, and his response was, oh, thank you very much for inquiring, but we already have all our, I think it, this was in 2018, so we already have our 2020 commits full. <laughs> so, dude, what do you tell parents that are obsessed with playing at a, with their kids going to a place like Oregon State? It, it usually depends on the age of the kid, but I, I think that I really push the grades really hard. Because we certainly only recruit kids who take their school very, very seriously. So that's that's one thing that no matter what level of athlete you are, that's something that all those kids can work on. So I, I really push that hard first. And then if it's a kid who's already a junior in high school, maybe a senior in high school, and their skill level is not quite there yet, I encourage them to go the junior college route. And I just start educating them about all the players from Oregon state who took that same route and then came to us there and just um, how successful and effective that can be. And then we have an option with Lynn Benton community college, which is kind of our sister school and very close to us where you can dual enroll in both schools at the same time. So a lot of options for kids. That's awesome, man. Oregon state, commits kid kids freshmen sophomores that early in high school mm -hmm. yep yeah we just we just got a sophomore in high school from down here in southern oregon young man by the name of isaac hill who is a pitcher right-handed pitcher he came to one of our baseball camps last summer and on the mound you know 91 93 as a sophomore and we we just signed him on the spot. I mean, we we love local talent, and you see a kid like that with great form, and you know that's great, great in school, just good kid, works hard, and yeah, those are the kind of kids we want. Bill, were you ever part of the recruiting process? Did you ever deal with any of that stuff? Yeah, yeah, yep. I my my pitch. I did get a an offer from Oregon State out of high school. And it was not a very good one, especially after the offer I had got from Santa Barbara. And they knew what my offer from Santa Barbara was. And they basically told me, we have three other first basemen in front of you, so you probably won't won't play. And there's no scholarship money for you. And wow. I just, you know, they just, I didn't get the feeling like they really wanted me. It was kind of like a courtesy call. And that was fine. I mean, I couldn't have really afford to go to a school if I wasn't getting a decent scholarship there. So... Um, and it all worked out in the end, didn't it? <laughs> Dude, it really did. How special is it, man, that that stadium you guys have there? I'm always envious of places that have beautiful stadiums like that, man. It just feels like it's like the heartland of like America or something, man. That turf field, the way everything's set up. How awesome is coaching there, playing there? Yeah, it's awesome, man. Goss Stadium, it rocks. Yeah, the the people of Corvallis come out. It's it's a really cool vibe, and, and you know they're they're bundled up in their rubber rain gear in the just nasty weather early in the season. It's sometimes it's snowing and it's windy and it's thirty degrees, and you know we have an artificial turf field, so we can keep playing out there and pushing it a little bit. Right, and right. You, you can tell the diehard fans, and it's all the same gear they wear at the football games too. So as soon as that weather starts happening, you just see everyone just starts pulling all this rubber plastic gear out of all their different things. Just they get all ponchoed up and they're still cheering. So we we gotta love them for that. Bill, didn't you play the drums? Do you still play the drums? Oh, yeah. Yeah, playing the drums a lot during this pandemic. What age did you start playing the drums? Uh, that was in the middle of high school. Yeah, I played the clarinet for nine years 
leading up to that, starting in kindergarten. And I wanted to switch to percussion, but the band teacher wasn't going to have it. And finally, my dog bit my lip right here and I had to get like nine stitches in my lip and I went to class with nine stitches on my lip and the teacher had no choice but to let me get into the percussion section and I never went back dude it's funny you bring that up because I remember I was in symphonic band and I remember having because drummer is like the sexiest thing in the world bro to be a drummer is like <laughs> well, when you're in the band right when you're in any band it's just drummer is sexy as hell and I remember thinking they were like okay they would audition the percussion and they would have to like clap and do the feed. And that's how she kept percussion people and not. And me, for some stupid reason, I went to the trumpet and and I couldn't even get the trumpet. I played the cornet, which is like half the trumpet, which is like loser. Mm -hmm. And then I got braces. This is my seventh grade year. I got braces. And then I just couldn't play anymore. I was horrible at the trumpet, dude. Even though I I know the thing. And oddly enough, my boy who's from Eugene, Oregon, that I talked to him about years later, Chris Bodie. You know Chris Bodie? Sure, I've heard that last name. The number one jazz guy in the world, trumpet guy. I would go to his house in the Hollywood Hills, and I'd grab his trumpet, and I could still do the, the G scale thing up and down, man. It's so awesome how music and sports uh, play together. Do you remember your walk-up song? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What was your walk-up song? Well, there were four different ones, but I, the one that I used at Oregon State was Mr. Roboto by Styx. Uh, yeah. Tomo arigato, Mr. <laughs> Roboto. <laughs> Dude, that personality of yours, man, have you always had it? You seem to me like you've been a guy that's yourself this whole time. Have you always had it? This is something you grew into as a man. Well, I don't know if I have anything, but I appreciate you saying that. That's awful nice. No, I, I, I got to thank my parents just for, they're both pretty unique uh, performers also. And they just have always encouraged me to express myself and perform. And they took me to a lot of musicals when I was a kid, you know, so I, I've been exposed to a lot of different artistic outlets and uh, I just, I'm very passionate about being able to express myself in many different ways. Bro, I'm so grateful for you, man. I can't, I, I still, I think about it every once in a while. You forget, you do so many things. I'm like you, but where we differ is you're a man of just like nature and you're a man of movement. Like you're always doing something, man. And me, I'm the reverse. I'm the same in that. I'm, I'm same, same, but different, different, but same, same. I'm the same that I'm in movement, but it's just in my coach HP content world. I don't drift to do anything else. I'm just like this, you know, and I was so lucky and fortunate. A, when, when you reached out to me, B, when I got there to the school and the person who I had hired to videotape me didn't show up and you're like bro i got this give me give me the camera i'll record you man i will forever be so grateful that, that you did that for me because anybody else could have been like nah bro i want to be cool here whatever whatever man what do you remember about that day i i just remember being so grateful that you came out to visit us you know it's, it's a really what a treat and all the guys were super grateful and they're still talking about it all the time you know i love i love going back and reminiscing on those days and i just yeah i remember getting some great camera angles and obviously you're so natural on camera so that just worked out really well and there's probably a lot of usable content in there yeah, and i just yeah, remember yeah. you know i got i got you know your your my coach is here all of a sudden. <laughs> What's going on? You know, I'm watching him on Instagram, and now hey, hey, what's up? It's your coach. <laughs> what's, up? what's up? It's your coach, <laughs> dude. I how I came up with that. So I've always, I've always done, and this is why I love that you do so many different things, man. And this is why I know, Bill. I've predict, I've projected this year, predicted so many people that nobody saw coming to a lot of success. And I've told you this from the beginning. You are going to be probably two, three years before a major university picks you up. If not back Oregon State, a major university picks you up and you're, and you're a manager. That's it. Because people like you 
don't exist, man. But when I did the it's your coach stuff, I've never I've never looked at myself in the realm of what I'm doing. I've always tried to take something of somebody else I've admired. So I started watching YouTubers, guys like Logan Paul, guys like Casey Neistat. And I saw, especially the young ones would be like, what's up, Logan? Or what's up, Jake Paulers? And, and I saw that intro and I was like, man. And my first videos was like, hey, guys. And I was like, man, I got to get it. But in the doing, I think about two months into it is when it hit. And when I said it, when I said, what's up, everybody? It's your coach. It just hit me. And I go, it's so good. I go, that's it, dude. That's it. I remember after I spoke that you told me, like, bro, thank God you did good, bro. Because if not, I would have got a lot of heat from the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. No, I mean definitely. All, all the old coaches aren't on Instagram. They don't know who you are. They don't know like, what this guy you brought in to talk to the team. It's like he's gonna be good. Okay, just trust oh me. Oh my god, dude, yeah. that is that is so crazy, man. I remember you're like, bro, thank God, because if I mean, not, I, I would have lost my speaker privileges. You crushed it. You crushed it. I just wanted to say one thing, though. You were talking about how you know, you're know you a mover and, and you're a doer, but you're so focused. And I just want to say, I really admire that about you. And I wish that I had more of that quality in myself. I mean, I have a great time doing all these things that I like to do, but it's very difficult for me to stay within one exact realm and really see that all the way through. And, and in my opinion, that's a weakness that I have. And so I see people like you and that's what I use your drive as motivation for myself to really see projects all the way through and not just do them part way and then kind of put them on the back burner. So thank you so much. No, you're welcome. But the thing is, see that the difference is when you're super creative, like you are, and you're super about the people bill, it's, it's hard to stay in one thing. That's why I've always been a fan of you doing as many things as possible because we don't know what's going to hit. And when you're multi-talented like you are, ooh, who's that? Who's that drummer? I like that drummer. Wait a minute. He's the coach of Oregon State. Who's this guy with that food? I like that food. What is this stuff? This natural herbs is that with the way things are in 2020, biggest mistake people do is they don't play to their strengths. And your strength is that you're good at so many things, man, that I see that as an advantage. The only thing that you have to do is document it yeah. and put it up. That's totally. it. That's it. Once you do that, oh, my God, people, the amount of kids, the amount of parents that are going to come to you, they're going to rely on you because you got so much wisdom and so much generosity, dude, so much heart. I think that's that's super, super important, man. So that's the difference. Between, whereas in my thing, something that you were going to do this year that we had talked about, you were going to commentate on some Beaver games this year, which would have been amazing and you would have been awesome at it. I started doing it at the local high school here. A lot of people criticized me. Like, what are you doing in high school for? I said, I'm, I'm getting my reps in. I'm getting my reps in because... One day, one day is going to happen. One day is going to happen. Also with the interviewing, I never even interviewed anybody in my life, but I'm so curious to talk to people in a fucking different way that I want people to see my authenticity of them to win. So I'm not going to be cookie cutter because what's happening is, and I'm going to get into a different topic after this, but what's happening, Bill, is America, as a society, is tired of cookie-cutter things, is tired of the same news, the same sports guy going, well, Bob, I'm here on another sunny day. That was beautiful for Vince Cully. Man, it's changing, and these kids today are trained from a real young age because they're already on social and stuff like that, that if you're not you and if you don't relate to them, you're in trouble. Yep. You yep. know? 
with what's that's going exactly, on. That's exactly what Eric Burns said when I reached out to him about being an analyst. I, I asked him, you know, what really separates analysts, and he said authenticity is is what it is, and that and that's really what separates people. So exactly what you were saying. See, and it's just it's it's the universe or the world meeting Bill Rao at the right time, a guy who's had experience who now is going to go through this wood bat journey, which is going to be amazing for you. You're going to run a team. You're going to see a lot of things. Document it. Well, dude, let me tell you something, bro. If you mic yourself up and you have a bat boy, somebody just put a camera on you, pregame speech, let me give you an idea right now. Okay. You you do BP. Mm -hmm. You're behind the pregame speech. Behind the turtle, BP, you talking, whatever you're saying. If you do infield, outfield, whoever does that, mic on the whole game, whole game on you. They're changing USBs. You get a wireless lapel, whole game. You do that for a whole season, bro. You put that together. I'm telling you, bro, I get goosebumps. Netflix documentary come. I'm I'm serious. I'm serious. And you know how to hit the audio. You know how to hit this. You do a podcast. You know the the what's a what mascot is that team? The Rogues. The Rogues. What's a rogue? Yeah, that's it. It's like uh, you know, like a pirate. A pirate. Okay. You do it. The the head rogue podcast. You do something and you just talk, man, after every game. What did I do right? Guys, I did this right. You know what I did wrong? Man, I I, I sent the guy. I told this guy to bun. I was sleeping in the The more honest you are, dude, you do something like that, it's it's huge. Bill, I, if I'm not mistaken, with what's going on now, the Floyd situation, mm-hmm. you took a stance. Mm-hmm very admirable for a lot of reasons for a lot of reasons i even though i'm hispanic it's i'm cuban it's a lot easier for me to take a stance pro minorities because i'm a minority but when a white dude does it it means a lot because i received zero backlash from anybody for what I said about that. Just a couple cops reached out to me, very political, you know, nobody challenging me or anything. But when an American does it, a white American does it, dude, you see the amount of racism that there really is. Tell me about that, man. I know you, I saw you unfollowed a lot of people. It's uncomfortable to talk about, it's uncomfortable to go through, but it's the world we live in, bro. Talk to me as you saw that, how do you envision that? How talk to me about that, bro? Yeah. Um, heavy stuff going on in our country for sure. It's it's awesome to see so many people uniting for you know human rights. I and I think for me it's not really about being a, a white guy or a minority, it's it's about just respecting humans, you know, and there's it's undeniable that people are being mistreated. And for me, I'm not I'm not like singling out the police. I'm sure it's a few bad apples making it bad for everyone else, but I just see a problem and I see people dying and that's, that's tough to watch. And I think from a coach, a coach perspective, that for me, that's what gave me my passion about coaching. You know, I, when I left baseball, it was very difficult for me to spend a lot of time in a locker room. I, I felt like my my political views and, and kind of my humanitarian views didn't really line up with a lot of the people that I was spending time with. And as a coach, I'm in a very unique and, and privileged position to be able to have those really difficult conversations with uh, young men who who might not be able to have those conversations with other people. Um, and because I'm their coach and they trust me and I'm a baseball player, I, I'm able to be inside some of those inner circles 
where it's really hard to speak up. And I, I kind of take pride, um, in, in having to do that. I had a, a wonderful philosophy professor, my feminist philosophy professor, Lonnie Roberts, when I was at Oregon state said that you, you can't consider yourself an advocate unless you're willing to speak up when you're amongst your inner circle, you know, when, when other people aren't watching, you, you still have to speak up in those situations. And so for me right now, it just doesn't really feel right to post on social media unless it's trying to help out the people who really need help right now. And so that's kind of where I'm at. I I've been, you know, I've still been out exploring and fishing and taking some photos to have, but every time I, I pull something up to post it, it just, it just feels like it's not back to real normal life for me yet. And I, I just, I, I want to see some more changes happen. And, and I've been really impressed with what we've seen so far. Yeah, man, super, super tough topic because are all it's like you said you you said it are all policemen bad no they have so much authority now what happens in the in the revolt of a huge 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 disaster by the police now you have policemen second get police officers men women second guessing themselves now when they arrest somebody and that leads to I was always taught, my dad was always talking to me, was always talking to me. And he always told me, when you ever get stopped by the police, you stop, you put your hands on the steering wheel, it's yes, sir, no, sir, and that's it. And that's it. You don't say anything, yes, sir, is your license, hands on the steering wheel, whatever they say. Now, as an adult, I understand that with all my positivity, that with all whatever I got going on, that if I get pulled over by a police officer, I look like a criminal. I have every characteristic of a criminal. I'm bald, I got a beard, and I got tattoos. That's mm -hmm. that's high, you know what I'm saying? But I have my responsibility to disarm the police officers, be chill. And I think the future is going to get to a state where we start talking because it's happening to all kinds of types of kids, all types, especially boys. Listen, the hardest thing in the world, I think, is to be a teenage boy. Why? Because, Bill, I, I think I, I was over six feet in high school. You were probably six, three already in high school. We look like men, but we're little kids in our brain. So the, the answer, one of the many answers, I think it's, just to start programming when we're young. Listen, guys, this is when you get stopped, you can't talk back. You can't act a certain way because the outcome of that, you're putting yourself in danger. Now, it doesn't mean you have to die. And obviously, it's all wrong. But if we start from that way, I think that it's almost like arguing with an umpire. A very young age, we're taught don't argue with the umpire. You get thrown out of a game, and I. Well, that's that's why we're starting to see those strikes. You know, automatic strike zones getting called. I mean, you know, it almost feels like people don't want to have to worry about the human element. And and I gotta say, my my reaction through all this is not to get rid of the police. It's to become a police officer. I mean, that, that's the, the drive that I have is when I see all this defund the police, defund the police, I say, you know what, if there's any other, I don't think I could join the police force now based on how old I am, but if there's any other, some kind of community response, I mean, I, I'm going to take this as a call to action and I'm just going to get involved in some way to where, you know, I can get out there and, and maybe be that new first line of help to a community. If, if the community's crying for help and they need a new type of response, and I, I certainly would do everything I could to be there for the community. That's beautiful, man. I think for some reason, bro, we, we hear, we get it, we do it reverse, man. The most important jobs, police officer, teachers, most underpaid, undervalued, under, like it's so crazy. I would at least, if possible, give the same rights as a firefighter. Every In Miami here, an example, everybody wants to be a firefighter. 
You work two days, you get a whole week off. It's a great schedule. You're chilling there at the court. Now you got to perform when there's a fire and stuff like that. But police officers, it's like they're going to hire anybody because it's just the pay so low. You're every day. It could be your last day on this earth because you're putting yourself in that fire. It is so hard, man. We just got to find a way to qualify people better, pay more, whatever it is to get almost like secret service type guys in the force. Cause there's, it's just, I, I think in the midst of all this tragedy and all stuff, I'm a positive dude. I feel it's going to be positive changes. I feel this is going to start a lot of people with your initiative that are going to say, you know what, when I'm done playing football, when I'm done playing basketball, I'm going to go into, I'm going to go into my community service. I'm going to, run for office. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to start doing more to help because it's like what you said, man, you put up a post on Instagram. I did it. I, I put a black thing. Great. I didn't do anything. I didn't go protest. I didn't go ask somebody if they feel better. I haven't done anything, you know? So I think that along with and and I had to do it because I called so many people out, along with half of the celebrities that just waited three days and then they became the biggest activists in the world because it was good for their image, mm -hmm. you know? And, and then you even have Major League Baseball that waited a while to start doing stuff and start doing stuff because... So it's everything. I remember I've always feel this way out of, out of adversity. Two things always come, a lesson and a blessing. And it's unfortunate that people are, are losing their lives in ways and in situations that they shouldn't. Now with the camera stuff, it's, it's literally crazy. Like they're literally, they got to change. We got to disarm people and you got to, I saw a thing today with somebody, everybody was white. So it wasn't like a racial thing. I think in a hotel or somebody, dude had a pellet gun. And somebody said, there's a guy with a gun here. Which is crazy. Like I, I'm not, I'm not a big gun person. I don't know what to, but you got to be careful when you carry stuff around, especially nowadays. You know, because people are, people are scared, man. And this dude, again, I don't know if people are drunk. I don't know what's going on. Officer with a like a, a automatic weapon, hold like literally telling the guy, don't move, hands up. The guy gets nervous. If you imagine, hand behind your head. He doesn't know if he has a thing. And then he goes, tells the guy, who's like, if you move again, I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to, like, really aggressive. Then he goes, crawl towards me, crawl towards me, moves a hand the wrong way, pa 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 done. You know? Yeah, and I think just, you know, I, I having friends who work in law enforcement and as firefighters and paramedics to, to hear what they have to experience on a daily basis um, I'm, I'm not sure. I think that's the part that would be the hardest for me. I'm not sure I'm equipped emotionally to day in and day out deal with that kind of trauma and just hate and anger from people who you don't even know. And it doesn't even matter if you're a paramedic trying to help somebody, people are crazy. And, crazy. you know, whether they're on drugs or not, or they're just aggressive or whatever. I mean, you never know when your life's going to be in danger it, when you're, and you're out there trying to help people. And, and so it's, I can't, just as I can't put myself in the shoes of a minority person who's getting profiled by the police, I also can't put myself in the shoes of a community service person who's feels like they're being threatened in some way. And so it's, it's such a difficult debate and it's, it's really, I'm glad that people are thinking about it really hard. And, and I think that if nothing else, at least people are talking about it and thinking about it and hopefully together we can find some common ground where, where more people feel safe just being out every day. Yeah, man, for sure. For sure. Talk to me about, Let's wrap it up with talking about this Woodball college thing. Is it almost like, is that like a, like a Cape Cod League kind of thing over there? Is that what you're doing? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, all the leagues have shut down now because of the pandemic. So we're basically operating an independent schedule with 
a, a quarter of the fans allowed in the stadium. We're not going to be opening up all the bleachers. We're not going to be opening up all the facilities and everything. And so, and we're going to have to be wearing masks when we're in the dugout and it's going to be a little bit different style of baseball, but yeah, we got players coming from universities from all over the country and we're going to be playing against other uh, teams into running an independent schedule with, with college players on it. So I got a few guys from Oregon state on the squad and I got another Oregon State coach coaching with me, so we should have a good time. And we're going to be documenting a lot of it. We're running a, a little broadcast for our fans, and then I'm going to be encouraging all the players and the fans to be recording as much of their own uh, media with their phones. And then I'm going to try and intercut fan experience and player locker room type stuff with the footage that we're getting for the documentary. I saw the field, dude. I, the field is beautiful. Like the mountains. When you said showed me a thing, mountains on the background, it's like a movie set, man. So so beautiful. It was it, a movie set. It was, huh? Well, that's where we filmed that baseball movie, Calvin Marshall, that oh. I worked on. Yeah, we actually filmed it at that stadium with, wow. with Darwin Barney and Coach Ryan Gibson and a bunch of cool actors. Bill, you do this. What's your future after this season? How long does this thing go? Is this just like a summer gig? What's your, what are you thinking? Yep. I'm growing a lot of fruits and vegetables. I've got a six acre hay pasture I'm working on. I'm coaching. And then I just got done, you know, checking in with the PAC 12 network broadcasting gig. I just want to make sure, like you said, you're going to do those high school games. I want to make sure that I'm going to be sharp next season. This year was supposed to be my tryout essentially for them so i want to make sure that i'm dialed and looking like a pro the first time i go out next year and it sounds like there might be some games without fans in the stadium which means there might be a broadcast happening without fans and so they encouraged me to practice broadcasting as if there were no fans in the stadium which was a pretty interesting tip to get from the uh, producer there nice dude nice best player you ever coached Ooh, dang. Mm. Best player I ever coached. Wow. What are we just like in terms of baseball skill and talent? Is that what we're talking about? Whatever you want, dude. You tell me. Wow. You had to start a team. They tell you, listen, we're going to every guy you coach, you got, you, you got the first pick. Who are you picking number one? I'd say, can it be a guy I played with instead? No, I'm gonna to do. I'm gonna do that one after. All right. Okay. Uh, I'd probably take Stephen Kwan into any battle. Our leadoff hitter for Oregon State in 2018. Super yeah. talented outfielder. Really fast. Great in the box. And I mean, Nick Madrigal was on that team, and he's obviously incredible. Adley Rutschman's incredible, but you know, I obviously didn't do much coaching for those guys either. When you come in midseason and you got kids at that skill level, it's it's more like flipping them BP when they want it and answering questions if they have any or showing them some slow motion video that you took. So um, all around teammate and skill combined and just a great dude. And uh, yeah, definitely Stephen Kwan. With these elite players, Bill, what do you notice about their personalities that they have in common with each other? Just the drive. I mean, I, you know, I, it's crazy to try and explain to people how many reps these guys are getting in their downtime and, and what, you know, when, when you're so tired and you think you don't have anything left in you, they're going back to the batting cage for another hour of hacks in the middle of the night, you know, and they're not staying out drinking and they're just, they're taking care of their business. And I, I just see that. I mean, I see guys who, who work really hard and just are dedicated to all the really, really small details uh, and just trying to do them all right. Bill favorite band. Favorite band, Dave Matthews Band. Really? Huh? Is that your favorite kind of music? Uh, it's my favorite drummer of all time, Carter Carter Beauford. He's incredible. He's a kid who is a, a right-handed drummer, but learned how to play drums by watching a mirror image. So he taught himself how to play drums left-handed. So he's like kind of got this weird cross-up thing going on. So I Damn. dig on it. Do you get blisters from playing the drums? 
No, no, because I've been farming so much. I got my hands in the dirt all day long. Yeah, they're my hands are tough right now. Last question, but what type of coach, you know, be a manager now, what type of manager do you want to be? Mm. One that improves all the players uh, as people by the time they're done with me. You know, if they, if they want to buy into the baseball I'm coaching, that's great. I just hope that I can lead by example and that when they leave the team, they're going to want to try and uh, be a little bit better because they saw me trying to be a little bit better too. Nice. Bill, you get the final word, bro. Any questions for me? Anything to close off with? Oh, man. You know, I've been practicing that hand thing you do when you say it's your coach, and I like can never get it right. Can you hit me with one? Show me how to do it right. Let me man. see if I get it. What's up? Hey, hold on. Yeah. Is it right here? Yeah, that's yeah, right. I go, I go, what's up, everybody? It's your coach. Oh, it's that pinky action, dude. It's that right pinky, there. Yeah. What's up? You, what's got, up? you got to get it. What's up, everybody? It's your coach. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like that. That's a, it's a lot of practice, bro. I'm telling you, it's, the, it's not as easy as it sounds. I was like, oh, I can throw one of those down. And I did it in the mirror with my hand. I was like, that <laughs> looks terrible. You got to get it. No, you, you got you get comfortable in your own skin, bro. And you oh. and you and you see it. And it's 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 a whole thing, bro. But it takes time. Bill, you're time. one of the you're one of the best to ever do it, buddy. Oh, big, love you, Hector. Big, big year, man. Big year coming up. I'm here when you need me. We'll be in touch, big guy. Appreciate it, bro. My love to your family, man. Congrats. Likewise, brother. Take it easy. All right, later. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.